See, you and Foz both said the world is ending. I don't think the world's ending. I think it's just collapsing. There's a difference. Hello, you're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with hosts Stephen Seagraves, Foz Bavud, and Seth Miller. Hi, guys. Hi. <laughs> Straight out of the gate, I can't keep it together. <laughs> well, it was the fun while that lasted. Yeah, we, we made it eight seconds into episode 284 before things completely fell apart. Um, obviously, you can tell Seth and Foz are here today, and that extra voice you're hearing is decidedly not Stephen C. Graves, who is out sick with a ruptured eardrum. Uh, oh, we dear. Wish him, yeah, we wish him speedy recovery, but we are joined by Ed Pizzarello. That's me. That's you. And the one who tried to be Stephen Seagrass. Eardrum. Yuck. Yeah, he's in a bad way. And can't get treatment for it because the emergency rooms are already starting to freak out. Right. So, good times. Um, but we wanted to get away from that terribly uh, worrisome thought. And we'll get into plenty of other you know worrisome issues in the industry coming up later. Because despite our efforts to avoid the coronavirus conversation, it continues to grow and continues to dominate the industry. But Ed, we brought you in, A, because we like you and you're a fun guy, but B, because you had something specifically you wanted to talk about um, related to a mutual friend of ours. Yeah, I do. And I'm really, uh, really uh, happy that you guys were willing to let me come on and talk for a few minutes about this. Um, You know, very thankful. We, you know... Probably the best way to say it is we lost uh, we lost one of the most fun members of our community uh, recently, uh, a guy named Will Maxwell Steele, and I think we're going to share a couple of funny stories about him today. But um, I think the thing that that really struck me uh, when it happened was you know, none of us were expecting it. He was very young. Um, a lot of the folks in the community knew him. He was a very generous uh, guy. Most of our charity fundraisers over the years were either heavily competed by or or won by Will, and and so we we started a charity drive around uh, mental illness to um to help remember will and uh, you know, will sudden passing and we've been doing a great job raising funds with it but but we really want to get some more awareness around it and so when you offered to let me come on and talk for a couple minutes about it i was certainly eager to do so um you know hopefully we'll um we'll have a, a link in the show notes for you guys that uh, the seth can drop in the show notes um or maybe rollo can and um <laughs> You know, I, I think, you know, we'll, we'll certainly share some thoughts on, on Will as a whole, but I think the thing I'm, I'm hoping that folks will do here, and we know it's a crazy time right now, but um, as Seth alluded to before we started recording, I said, you know, hey, it'd be great if, if folks would skip Starbucks today and just take that money and, and donate it to our, our fundraiser to, to help folks who are dealing with the challenge of mental health and mental illness. And, you know, Seth's comment, you know, very pointedly was, well, Starbucks isn't open today, so it's even easier to, to donate that, you know, five bucks for, for the soy uh, double shot latte. Yeah. Um, you know, I certainly was shocked to learn of um, his passing. Um, I know a lot of people were, I think, been trying to come up with some of my favorite stories about Will and the memories of him. Obviously, he had been on a bunch of the mega dues there. He was around a lot of different events with us. But I think some of the smaller, uh, well, I won't say smaller things he did, but maybe less uh, smaller group things that were around. Um, one of them, I know he there was a smaller get together related to Continental Airlines and uh, Boeing a few years back, and he and I, had, we were we were in. Uh, I'm trying to remember the order of operation. We went to Seattle first, then to Houston, and then to San Diego. And it was a whirlwind weekend of tours and stuff. And on the last day, he was uh, Australian, um, which doesn't matter too much in this context, but it turns out he never drove. And I don't know if later in life he learned to drive, but he definitely didn't drive uh, before he turned 21, which on the day that happened to be his 21st birthday, uh, I had to pick him up from an airport airport hotel where we were staying at different hotels in Houston and then get him to the airport. And in the midst of all that left my laptop at my hotel. Um, And 
turned around, and like it was big enough of a deal to me that like running late for our flights turned around on the highway and went back to get it it was like okay so i'm doing like you know 85 or 90 on the highways in houston which i know isn't that fast for houston but i felt crazed about it and it was like okay here's the thing my flight's an hour and a half before yours i'm just gonna drop i'm gonna bring us to the terminal get out of the car and then you'll return the rental car just get out of the car return it no one will ask any questions if they say mr miller nod your head and smile and walk away right like we've all done this before you return a rental car it's fine he's like no like, what do you mean? No, I'm gonna miss my flight. This is like, he's like no, I can't do that. Like, he's like, I can't drive. And I was like, is it the wrong side of the road? Things like, no, I just, I just don't drive. So I, <laughs> and, and like the pan, I, the good news is I made the flight. It was fine in the end, but there was, uh, it was a particularly bizarre sort of exchange of, and I don't know why I think it's so weird that like just someone doesn't drive. There's a lot of people who don't, but in this, the way he presented it and the way like it seems so important to me at the time and so unimportant to him at all that he needed to be able to drive. He was definitely a unique guy. And I mean, like this is a guy who after the One World Megadoo was so determined to win the contest that American Airlines had where they were giving away uh, concierge key status, if I remember correctly. Uh, not only did he win the contest with just some insane number of flights, but he legally changed his name on his passport to Ryan Bingham, the character that George Clooney played in, in Up in the Air, the reprisal of the book. Uh, so there wasn't a whole lot that was sort of out of bounds for, yeah. for... And he did that so that American Airlines would issue a concierge keys card in the name Ryan Bingham. Exactly right. <laughs> and succeeded in doing so. Yeah, it also turns out apparently in... And I said I said Australian before he's a New Zealander. Sorry, that was terrible. I thought about um, correcting you, but I figured we'd get to it eventually. Yeah, no, th- apparently it's very easy to change your name in New Zealand. So it was, you know, compared to the United States at least. But still, the fact that he was willing to do it and go through that level of insanity is uh sort of typical it's a typical example of the ridiculous that he would bring to the table yeah i mean this is a guy who paid uh if i if my if, if my memory serves me correctly he paid 700 dollars for one of the old united red tulip rugs that had to have been walked on by how many tens of thousands of dirty shoes over god knows how many years at uh, at a fundraiser that we had why Look, I mean, I was certainly thankful to have the donation. I didn't bother asking why at the time. I was just happy that we that we sold the rug for seven hundred dollars. There was a bidding war for it, Vaz. Oh there was gosh. there were more than one person, but Will was determined to win. And I think that's sort of like you know when we think about why I wanted to go down this road, and you know, there's a bunch of folks in the community, um, you know, that we know, Randy Peterson, Summerhall, that are you know all jumping in here to to help out and raise funds. Um, you know, Brian from the Points Guy. Um, you know, everybody who came in touch with Will really loved him, and so. Um, you know, when we think about how, you know how we can do something, it's you know thinking about all these great memories and saying, "Hey, let's let's funnel that into something that helps people." Um, you know, and, and not to get overly sappy, but the the fundraising part is certainly very important. We want to make sure that we can help uh, a, a very renowned charity that focuses on mental illness. But I also think it's just, I mean, especially with everybody being cooped up now. I mean, almost everybody I know is either sheltering in place or reducing travel, staying home with kids, like whatever it is. You know, now is just a really good time to you know don't make it an email. Don't make it a text message or a Facebook message. Just pick up the phone. Somebody you haven't spoken to in a while and just ask them how they're doing. Um, I think it's just, you know, one of those things that we overlook so frequently. And I think, you know, now's a great time to just take a two minutes to connect with somebody you haven't talked to in a while and just make sure they're doing okay. Pause your podcast first. <laughs> sure. I mean, listen, I, 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 you're taking people away from your listenership. You're taking them away from the show. I just... <laughs> There they go. I have, clicking mo- off the I have multiple show. priorities here. I have to balance. Apologies to all the advertisers who lost all the clicks just now. Wait, advertisers, what? <laughs> Wrong podcast. <laughs> if you'd like a Chase Sapphire preferred card, I have. I mean, wait, sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, this week it's the ink. 
Oh, I'm sorry. Wait, do we do business podcasts? Anyways, I, don't, I, don't, I, I do think that the demand for, for high-end credit cards is probably down this week. Yeah. I wonder why. Um, well, I think, thank you, Ed, for sharing those stories. Um, obviously, there's a lot still that's going to come from this effort. Um, and I know with you driving it, certainly that will happen. Um, and look forward to helping out with that. I know we talked about sort of next phases of the project going forward and we'll certainly have you back on to talk about how we did so far and where we're going and what the next steps are as is appropriate time-wise but uh yeah, definitely so, a great opportunity yeah and since it's your podcast and not mine I, I feel even better about just interrupting you midstream and saying i did forget to share that just because it's will and because we wanted to have something catchy uh, everything that we're doing is under the hashtag where there's a will so that's where you'll see uh, our efforts going forward on this which ironically is also the title of this week's episode oh my goodness how did that happen we should talk to people about that. This is amazing. Thank you, Rolo. Uh, <laughs> so what we get for having a producer. Um, so in the midst of everything else, and I know we wanted to sort of talk to uh, the coronavirus situation and how it's impacting the industry. It sounds like Midway Airport uh, control tower is in the midst of a uh, ground stop related to it. Really? So this is the first ATC situation, air traffic control situation we've seen. Uh, earlier today, there was an announcement that uh, some of the uh, controllers had been tested positive in Chicago. And now it sounds like, uh, with certainly with details to come, uh, ATC went into ground stop about 15 minutes ago. Um, we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon around, so yeah, around 5.30 Eastern. It went into ground stop. Sources familiar say that the midway issue is coronavirus related and there will not be a quick resolution to this ground stop. So, yeah, that's an exciting uh, bit of news to open the discussion of the rest of our show with. That's kind of crazy when you think about it. I mean, I, you know, we all lived through 9-11 and, and certainly like we know that there were ground stops then, but there were capable air traffic controllers to get planes back in the air. Um, uh, th- uh, this may sound ignorant, and maybe I should know the answer to this, but I, I don't imagine that a, 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 a station as big as Midway can really be done remotely in the current environment. I don't think so. Uh, that said, where, what I really don't know is what the backup facility is. Yeah. And typically at larger airports, you have a designated – all of the – there's the ATC tower, which is the big tall one that you typically see, and then there's the – Ramp control towers, which are typically run by airlines. And in, like, I know JFK T8, the American Airlines terminal, uh, and JetBlue's T5 terminal, both are set up, I believe, to be backup control facilities. And so, if necessary, if the big tall one on the top of T4 at JFK has a problem, everybody can come downstairs and work through the other facilities. They have the right transmitters, they have the right radar systems, et cetera. Um, it takes time and they have to get them back up and running and whatever. But it, obviously things have to slow down because like the other resources that those stations are used for get pulled out of service. So I don't know if Southwest has a proper ramp control tower room a- in Midway. They would be the one to do it because they're the biggest. Um, everybody else is sort of a random one-off. But that might be in play. It might not. But there usually is a backup facility at the larger airports. So that's something to think about. Maybe we'll have more news by the end of the episode here in terms of what's actually going on. But it's going to be kind of crazy. I I guess my question here, though, is, is this a facility issue or is it a people issue? Because if you have a backup facility, you don't have any air traffic controllers who haven't tested positive. Or for everybody who has tested positive, even if people who haven't tested or haven't tested positive have been in contact with, you have unknowns. Yeah. So you can have a backup facility, but nobody to manage. 
Yeah. Um, very good chance that's the case. And it's not like we were swimming in free uh, or unencumbered uh, air traffic controllers beforehand. There's been a shortage for a while now. Um, and, you know, yesterday or the day, I think yesterday, was, you know, in the midst of all the chaos of <laughs> this whole thing happening, a bunch of air traffic controllers I follow on Twitter were joking about or not joking, but talking about this is, you know, someone joked, you know, said what's going to be the first uh, station to go to ATC zero, which is a step beyond this. That's uh, you have to ground. You have no operational capacity, but on the bigger controllers, on you know, on the bigger stations that control airplanes moving through the space, not takeoffs and landings at a single airport. So, yeah, it sounds like we've sort of had our first. So that's exciting. So, Ed, I think, you know, that comment sort of leads into something else that we had talked about earlier today. I had recorded an episode on your podcast for this week at, like, what, seven hours ago? And we made the comment that it's quite likely that we're going to see a situation where... By the end of the day, when we record this episode, the entire industry is completely different. And, and pretty true. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, I think I hate to keep making this comparison, but again, we all three were, you know, very much attached to the industry back at nine eleven. I think if if you had told me going into this that we could see something that would move um, as pervasively and as rapidly as this after having lived through nine eleven, I'd say, well, I mean, like, I, you know, maybe I could see something close to this, but this feels so much more widespread. Well, I think it's this is a lot. There's a lot more uncertainty, right? This is imagine the hours after the initial attack uh, on 9/11, where there was all that uncertainty before things stabilized. We're still in that period of the first few hours, right? We're in days now. Yeah, weeks almost. A week, yeah, probably about two weeks now, right? But now we're really getting to dire straits with these lockdowns and shelter in place and all these other things that play that are starting to crop up around the country. And uh, the real question is, like, how do like how long does this last? And that's nobody knows. Yeah, I think that that uncertainty is the real concern for everything, right? For consumers in general, for people, for the stock markets, for the airlines and every other business involved. It's uh, it's a real challenge. Yeah, it really is, and it's so tough to figure out if you're an airline now or a hotel chain, you know, just how to react. Um, you know, you, you know that you're going to have to do business at some point. You suspect that there's going to be some sort of a government bailout in probably many countries across the world, but you don't know what either of the thing, those things look like. So how do you wake up tomorrow and, and make plans for your airline or hotel chain? Well, on the topic of a bailout, right? Is it really fair to be demanding a bailout when you've had years and years of profits and just chose not to save up for for a rainy day? I knew we'd get to this eventually today. <laughs> is it a rainy day? It's clearly raining something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what, what, what Foz is referring to is that there, I don't know who it was that reported first, maybe with Bloomberg, that essentially, uh, you know, something like 96% of all free cash flow from the major U.S. airlines has gone into share repurchases over the past X number of years. I think it was the Times who did that. Yeah. Okay. Bloomberg. I, saw the, I think I saw it from Bloomberg, but yeah. Yeah. So essentially what, what, what's, what we're all referring to is, you know, hey, I mean, like they spent all this money propping up their share price. In some cases, it didn't work. <clears throat> American. Um, and But they'll and, never lose money again. Right. I was in the room for that conference. I was in the room for that comment. I remember it. And I remember just sitting there. There was what, like maybe 15 or 20 of us in the room listening to Doug talk. And we all just looked at each other. Nobody said a word. And we all just looked at each other like, did he really just say that? So do you think that's more weird than an airline CEO saying he doesn't really use email? He has his secretary print him out, writes notes in the margins, and then has hands him back to her for replies? Wait, who is that? Uh, uh, I'm just blanked on his name now. Not Bastion, the CEO before Nintendo. Uh, oh, just, uh, Anderson. Anderson, who just finished uh, just finishing up his his term at Amtrak now. Yeah, I didn't. I never had. I had never even heard that. Yeah, it was another similar small group thing, a media day thing they did like a long time ago now. I don't remember exactly how many years, but um, a bunch of us were sitting at the table, and he said that about. We were talking about social stuff, and you know, someone said something. We were like taking pictures and sending tweets and stuff. And he's like, "What's that?" And we and 
despite the fact that we had the CEO for only half an hour, we then went down a rabbit hole trying to explain to him how this that worked, and then he was very confused and like you know like and then somehow got into email, and that got even worse. So, <laughs> um, by the way, and I know I should know the answer to this, but since you guys are smart people and in many ways smarter than me, was it a voluntary departure from Amtrak? I think so, but I don't know for certain. I mean, it's you know scheduled and whatever, so it's not like they walked him out the door one day. No, it seems a little in, 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 incongruous. It just seemed like, I don't know, it seemed like there was more to do. Uh, well, on the plus side, he managed to get out right before the whole thing collapsed. The whole yeah, for sure. Collapsed. Although he's, I mean, he's, the transition is happening now, so we'll see. And Willie Walsh decided to stick around at IAG rather than taking his mid-year retirement uh, hmm. packet. So maybe that'll change. But the, yeah, I, I, there's a lot to do, but I think his goal was to reset the operation to look more like a you know, functioning transportation industry company mm-hmm. and then let someone else deal with the fallout. And he seemed to be pretty happy to do that. Also remember he's relatively old. I mean, he had, he was old and retired and then came back out and came out of retirement for some work. So, yeah. And while it wasn't a surprise to me, um, I, it was certainly a sort of surprise to people who saw him sort of try to pivot fares on Amtrak to things that are less refundable, uh, which is a yeah. big change in model for them. Yeah. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago and yeah, because you know, I, I don't mind if it actually means lower fares, but the reality is there's no way it ever will because they wouldn't do it if it did. Well, yeah, I mean, like you've got to think not that we want to talk about rail travel the whole time. Maybe this is a good way to pivot back to the airlines and bailouts and them never losing money again. Um, but when you have the line of folks to be bailed out, I just can't imagine the appetite's going to be very uh, you know, big for a, an, an Amtrak bailout after you get done bailing out um, you know, maybe more airlines than I can count on one hand. Yeah. I mean, at this point, we think American, Delta, United are all probably likely to need some form of a bailout. And then probably a lot of smaller carriers as well. Do we think that like the Alaskas and the Southwests of the world are in bailout mode? Uh, uh, yes. You think they? You think they'd go for it and not let one of the other? Do you think they'd like? Oops, sorry, I'm gonna start that sentence over. I'm dumbfounded that you're even questioning this. Um, <laughs> you, you think that Southwest would be like, oh yeah, give Delta and United some money. We don't need any. No, not that. I, I did, where's the like the necessary levels? I think I, I I think that Alaska and Southwest, probably more Southwest and Alaska, have been um, more responsible with their cash and and might have um, might have the ability to need less of a bailout. How the mm-hmm. how the math works out, I'm not sure. Yeah. Southwest did just take out a billion dollar line of credit yesterday. So I mean, it's an interesting point, right? Like, do you? try to reward the better behavior than the worst behavior, right? If you look at the majors, Americans been lagging behind the other two. Should, do they deserve as much of a share as the other two when they haven't managed their own business properly? Yeah, I mean, I think if it's coming from us as taxpayers, I would certainly argue, which I know will never happen, but I would certainly argue that the, the money that goes to Americans should come at a higher price, whatever that is, whether it's higher repayment terms or shares for taxpayers or, or what have you. Um, I'm certainly more, more likely to want to bail out Southwest than I am American in terms of what I think the return on my investment is going to be. Yeah, I mean, they, we should look at it as a business decision, right, from a taxpayer perspective. For sure. I think so. But we're not politicians, and so you know, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> hey, I almost I almost ran for director of the electoral rolls in my town, for my district in my town. I'm going to be a politician one day. I can't figure out if, if Foz and I would have campaigned for or against you if you did that. <laughs> By campaign, I mean, it turns out that I found out the morning of the election that no one was running and I wrote myself <laughs> in. Uh, or was going to write. I think I was to jo- joke with Lene about writing myself in and we didn't do it. And the person who won only had three votes. Ooh, that so would have been awful close. Yeah. And then someone took, yeah, I actually, and like if I told my neighbors about it before they'd gone to vote, like I would have won because uh, I would have accidentally had four votes against three. <laughs> so what are your thoughts, Seth? I mean, do you, do you think that, do you think that there's a merit system here on bailouts for the U.S. carriers? Should there be? Yes. Uh, you know, looking at the package that they asked for, I will say the one tiny 
sliver of good news is they are no longer asking to withhold the uh, PFCs, the passenger facility charge money that goes to the airports. Right. The airlines wanted to hold on to that. So that's that's done now. Or not that's not part of the package anymore. They are still asking to have the excise tax waived, and that's the fare excise tax as well as fuel and other things. And then there's also the uh, they want so they want just straight handouts. They want uh, tw- and that's twenty five billion for the commercial airlines and four billion additional for the cargo carriers. Another matching number for uh, the for zero interest loans that come with no collateral required. So again, basically free money, though in theory would get paid back at some point. And then suspension of the excise tax. So uh, yeah, you know the, the whole package is somewhere around sixty billion. People are talking different numbers, but it seems to be that big. And then there's also the ten billion that the airports want. And Silver Airways sent a note a little later in the day yesterday saying, yeah, about that sixty or fifty billion that the commercial carriers asked for, that was just Airlines for America, and they're only the big guys, and we're not a member. But you got to make sure that we get money too. Because, you know, we're a small player and we need to help. We need to help also. And on the one hand, I could argue that small carriers need it more in some ways. But the uh, bigger ones, you know, do serve more people and have more purpose. But you get to a too big to fail kind of situation. I don't know. It's a tough balance. I mean, would it be horrible if they gave them bailouts and required them to start divesting some of their assets? Because this massive consolidation has probably made the situation worse. I think it'd be hard. Uh, I, I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with you in principle on it. I'm just not sure how you do it and and who they divest to. Are you forcing them to divest? You know, is American divesting a chunk of stuff to JetBlue, or are the th- big three divesting twenty percent each and forming a fourth big carrier? Yeah, some, something along those lines. In essence, that's what the government's buying, right? You're buying. You're picking. You're picking up entire hubs or entire parts of the route network, buying that to form a new carrier. I mean, if we're doing that, I maybe mean, it's just call Dave Mealman and tell him to change his plans for Breeze. At least then you've got a CEO who's competent instead of trying to determine if it's instead of trying to find someone or let the FAA run it or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, as I think about it, I, I, like, I, I like the idea of zero interest loans because I, I do think that the airlines are likely with the, with the proper financing, they're likely to get back up and running. And so it's a, a good risk, quote unquote, as a taxpayer. But I think I think instead of trying to split up the airlines, I think I'd be looking and this is in theory too, by the way, because I'm not sure that I want, as you say, our government or our FAA running the airlines. But I think I'd be saying if it was me loaning the money, I'd say, well, then I want a seat on the board. And you know, I want some say into how these airlines are continuing to run or at least some visibility in how they're running. Yeah. Um, you know, there have been some interesting proposals put forth about, you know, I've seen from Congress critters and senators suggesting uh, $50 minimum wage come into play or uh, employees get a seat on the board guaranteed or other things related to you know, no stock buybacks for whatever period of time as a result of the bailout money. Um, it'll be interesting to see if any of that can come together, uh, given the general relationship of the politicians right now and the, and the inability to negotiate anything useful. Um, you know, I, I, my, my fear is that the Republican side is just going to hold out and keep saying no, and the Democrats are eventually going to cave on, well, we got to get the money out, so whatever money there's going to be out somehow. Um, and accept whatever's offered. And honestly, if I was the Republicans running it, that's the approach I would take. They they seem to have a position, a negotiating position here. Although Trump watching another ten percent drop out of the stock market probably isn't a great thing. I don't know. Yeah, I tend to uh, I tend to agree with you on uh, on that. I think you know, I mean, uh, the the seat on the board for the employees I think is incredibly valuable um, in terms of trying to keep control. Yeah, bailout money shouldn't go to share buybacks ever. Um, you know, I, I don't. 
uh, you know, I do question the whole minimum wage thing. Certainly don't want to go down that rabbit hole. I just, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure where you end up with uh, in that sort of a, in that sort of an area, you start to really change the model of the airlines. If you start to dictate what they can charge, what they can pay people. Sorry. I mean, I honestly, I think rather than focusing on that, I, I would cap executive pay. Yeah. I think that's much more productive than capping than 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 propping up minimum wage yeah because i mean most of the towns are towns more and more of the municipalities are dealing with the minimum wage at the local or the state level right but the, no one's dealing with the upper end and yeah. the, the problem is you know the reason these all these airlines have been so hyper focused on buying stock uh, their stock back is because it drives the executive compensation because right. most of that executive compensation is in the form of stock so it's really self-serving it's not really serving anyone other than the executives themselves and, you know, their owners, the investors to whom they answer, by which I mean, if they want to keep their job, they have to do it. Right. But when you look at um, not there's not a lot of large institutional investors who own a lar- very large share- chunk of shares on these companies. Right. When you look at the number of thousands and tens of thousands of shares that the executives are tr- trading on a quarterly basis, it's a lot more than a lot of the uh, big investors. You know, the, there are some big investors who have more, but these guys are profiting more than those investors. Yeah, I don't think I have a problem limiting that compensation or creating some sort of a formula where there's more skin in the game, certainly where, um, you know, the airlines make better choices with the cash. I think it's certainly it's easy to sit here with hindsight and say they shouldn't have done all those share buybacks. Um, but it's one thing to say that as a quote unquote armchair quarterback, when you're just judging them on their performance, it's another thing to say that it's going to be our tax dollars that help them keep going after they chose that strategy. Well, but, you know, I'm going to take a step back and say this is a cyclical industry. These executives should be prepared for the downturn. There's always a downturn that's going to come. And it's really the fact that they weren't prepared, it really shows a level of negligence. Now, is this longer than some of the other downturns? Yes. But we're three weeks into it, and they're all in panic mode. Yeah, they sure are. And I think I think we are, too, because it's, it's so hard to see. I mean, we've, we've seen you know, some pretty cataclysmic things happen in, in our lifetime here. And this one feels as bad or worse than the others in terms of, you know, not necessarily, not that it isn't important on how many people are going to die from coronavirus, but from the focus of the airline industry, just how long of an effect this is going to have on getting back to some level of normalcy amongst these carriers. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh not to change the topic again, but going back to the midway, the FAA has issued a statement saying, uh, I have temporarily closed the tower while we ensure a safe work environment for controllers and technicians, acknowledged the positive tests results for some of the technicians earlier in the day, and notes that the airport remains open and is operating at a reduced rate, um, which is to say the en route controllers are basically handling the flow in and out to keep things at a more reasonable speed. So it's not ATC zero. They haven't fully shut down, Mm. but uh, it's not good. No, and this is probably the only time that that could happen and it could actually be passable in that, um, you know, traffic is down somewhat and they're still probably going to have delays, but probably the only time that this could happen where it wouldn't be catastrophic. Yeah, you know, I've got to tell you, I don't think the traffic is down quite as much in the U.S. as it's certainly not as much as it's going to be. I mean, it's down maybe 20 percent right now, but it if that and it's going to be down 50 percent pretty soon. Yeah, yeah. 40%. 40%. I mean, but United said 50, American said 40 domestic, Southwest said 20. So it's it's coming, but it's JetBlue is going to be similar. Alaska is going to be similar. Um, I have my spreadsheet right here. I can tell you what they all said. But um, there is a lot, but it's, uh, I don't know, it's not, it's not, it's not quite 
to where it's going to be yet. They're still definitely running. Well, and using that, if you say it's down 20%, and I'm not sure what Southwest is down, but I don't think it's significant beyond that. Um, you know, this is a major hub for Southwest. I can only imagine how many flights they're going to have to ground if it's on, um, if it's on partial because that's, you know, that's their main hub. It, yeah, it is definitely one of their larger facility or larger hubs. Yeah. They, Southwest's twenty percent cut technically doesn't take effect till next month either, so they're running relatively speaking a full operation right now. So apparently, the ATC ops plan says midway ground stopped until tomorrow. Yeah. Oof. So that means all. What that means is inbound flights currently in the air will be allowed to arrive, but no, no new flights are taking off. All everything headed to midway tonight's canceled. Is what that means. That's pretty massive for Southwest's operation. Again, just as of that, you know, between yeah, that and late in the day, though, it's probably fifty flights. Yeah, it's five. It's five o'clock in Chicago. It's not. Uh, but it does. What it's about like departures? I mean, it impacts departures as well, right? Inbounds are one thing, but what about departures? Roughly the same number. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, that the midway is obviously a lot of connecting flow there, and I guess you know it depends on what time they get started tomorrow because you've got you know all the the, the stuff that comes through from both ends of their network that cross through midway. Yeah, that's, you know, a lot of people are going to have some trouble. Yeah, I mean, they've got some capacity at Love Field, but not a ton. It's not like, you know, it's going to it's gonna take no, them time to... They, Love doesn't have any capacity to expand into. They don't have gate space. No, but I mean, like, like, like given where they're at, like, they they're probably have the ability to put people on flights going through Love, meaning, like, I don't think all the oh. flights through Love are full right now. I don't think any flights are full. So, like, you know, people are inconvenienced. They can route some of them through Dallas, but probably not everyone. Yeah, and certainly not today. So no, good times. Yeah, exciting, exciting. So, um, for what it's worth, I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, me and a couple other guys have been running a spreadsheet tracking the closures announced and cuts announced by airlines uh, with the most recent news. And some of it's hard to figure because it sort of splits between international and domestic for a few airlines and things like that. But we have 30 airlines with 80% or more of their route network cut right now, including roughly 15 that are fully halting operations. And some of those are not small airlines. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the there's only one that is halting and not resuming, and that's Trans States, which is one of the United Express carriers, and it was going to go away in uh, at the end of the year anyways, but that's now been accelerated to April 1st. Uh, the other ones, though, I mean, names you've heard of, Jetstar Asia, which, you know, is only 18 planes, but it's still significant. Uh, Austrian Airlines, Brussels Airlines, uh, Cebu Pacific, Egypt Air, SAS. all... SAS technically didn't stop everything. They're running a very, very skeleton network um, of sort of domestic regional flights, but basically all their long haul is done. Um, you know, Virgin Atlantic is in the 80% group. Copa is in 80% now. Uh, Norwegian's 85. The, the list goes on and on. Air France is at 90. So these are airlines you've heard of. This isn't little guys having trouble. Um, it's going to be nasty. Yeah, and I wonder... You know, take something like Austrian. I mean, I I don't know it, in their case specifically if they were grounded by the country um, or if they were grounded by you know demand. Uh, but they're, if I remember correctly, they're wholly owned by Lufthansa, not even just partially, right? It's part of the Lufthansa Group, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, how does Lufthansa begin to make those decisions about who they're putting back up in the air and who's not? Because I mean, Austrians, I've really enjoyed them every time I've flown them. I'd really hate to see them go away. I would agree. Yeah, they, they are. I like the operation too. I 
better since they retired the I think they finally retired their seven six seven, so they weren't very comfortable in coach. But um it's been a while. I don't think they have. I think they still no? have no, yeah. they they uh, renovated a bunch of them. Okay, well, either way, I, they they are very nice. It's a, I you know, it's not many airlines I hate, so it's hard for me to get too back into that. But um, you know, I think there has been a challenge for the European airlines in general. Of you know, if you look at Lufthansa Group as a single airline, which is how it should operate, right. it got hubs in Brussels, Munich, Frankfurt, Vienna, Zurich, and Geneva. Um. How do you deal with that? Right. So, um, yeah, is that too many hubs? And then if you're going to consolidate them, can you, but then you have this sort of national pride thing and it gets real nasty. Yeah. I mean, I, my guess would be, and again, don't want to sound naive here, but my guess would be that, you know, the Austrian government isn't going to really have any say in what happens with Austrian airlines because they don't own a stake. I mean, you would think typically with some of these that are, you know, flag carriers for the countries that there might be, but in, I think Austrians the interesting example of the Austrian government may really want Austrian to start flying again. And it's really not up to them. Yeah. Um, interesting topic that literally just came in from a listener. Um, and I think it's probably a good, uh, way to close out this episode. That's not COVID coronavirus related. Um, with the U.S. having more airlines than most any other country, why are fares in Europe so much cheaper? You call it collusion. <laughs> it's it's an interesting question, and it sort of plays into what honestly what we were just talking about in terms of the spread of you know the number of different airlines and how they're managed from a government perspective. I think I unfortunately think that the premise of the question is maybe a little flawed if you look at Europe as individual countries, or if you look at it as a single commercial space, like, and look at North America, similarly, um, that basically because of the EU, you can't look at individual country airlines. some and as much as any airline within Europe that is allowed to fly routes within any of the other countries there. So you can't just say, well, Ryanair is an Irish airline. You have to assume it's a European airline as is Lufthansa, as is EasyJet, as is blah, 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 blah. So I think there probably are more European airlines than there are U.S. airlines in that context. Yeah, I also think you've got the the, the distance issue as well. Just that there's so much short haul flying that you can do in um, in Europe that that really helps some of these carriers get a foothold because they can run you know tons of flights to tons of uh, random city pairs that may make sense that can be harder to replicate in certain parts of the U.S. And there's a density situ- the the population density is higher on the yeah. shorter routes. Yeah. Um, I, I also I, and I do wonder if the fact that there's a proper rail or relatively speaking, proper rail and even bus these days, highway infrastructure and the transportation market there helps drive airfares down right? because there actually is competition and enough of the routes are short enough. Going back to your point that, you know, there are there are alternatives right? really in the good, US, if you want to travel a thousand miles. You can't take a train or 600 miles. You can't take a train and you can't take a bus really in Europe. You can. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a really good point. I mean, I've, I've taken the train multiple times in Europe on routes like Paris to Amsterdam, which are obviously also popular routes for airplanes, but are you know perfectly fine in a train and, you know, quite nice trains as a matter of fact. Yeah. No, I'm just going to say I've done, you know, like Munich to Hamburg is how far? It's uh, 375 miles straight line. So not quite the 600 I was going for, but it's an hour and a half flight and it's like a six or so hour train ride. 
but when I've had, you know, my jet lag day trying to recover and after I land and getting up to, you know, the other part for my meetings on the following morning, the train has been a great way to do it. So much more relaxed. Um, just, it is a nice option and there's a lot of different ways, different routes that are like that. Foz, how often do you find yourself taking trains when you're in Europe? I know you're over there quite a bunch, probably a lot more than I am. I'm not, I mean, I, if I can, I will. Um, it really depends on, I mean, you know, I'd say 75% of my trips are to England. And so, you know, I'll take the re- local regional trains, but I don't really do much long haul. Um, I've done the channel train a few times and the Eurostar a few times. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, the problem with them is they're expensive. Yeah. Flights. That, that's the real thing that gets me is I'd love to take a train more often, but they are just far more expensive than um, flights quite often. Yeah, yeah I, I definitely paid more on like a Munich Hamburg example. I said before, I definitely paid a little more for that. I, I paid considerably. Well, I wouldn't say considerably more because I don't remember what the cash price of a ticket was, but I paid a considerable amount to, to, to ride the channel. I did it because I'd never ridden it before, but it was it was definitely north of 200 bucks one way. Yeah. And Eurostar is particularly special in that context, um, in part because there's no competition with other trains there. Um, and I think that's changing. If I remember correctly, that, well, I don't know if with Brexit now, but I think that route was supposed to have, they were going to be forced to open up the rails to other competitors. So we'll see. Hmm. No, that, that would certainly be interesting. Um, I, mean, I know that, time uh, yeah, like in Italy, there has been competition on the rails. There's yeah. like a new something red or something, you know, Rosa something trains that run just the trunk routes that are, you know, high value while Trenitalia has to run all the little routes to connect everybody because they're the government operation, um, which in some ways is not fair, but you know, they also just renationalized all Italia. So I don't really care what they think is fair with their government operations anymore in transportation. Um, (laughs) I've taken a sec, I've taken that secondary train. It's a Talo dot, um, something. And it's, it's nicer than Trenitalia. No question. Uh, trains are nicer. Service is nicer. Wi-Fi is nicer. Everything's nicer. But it only works on like the five routes that they run. Correct. Yeah, and they're also and, and they're cheaper too. But yes, you, you combine all those things together, and yes, it's it makes for for the routes they run. It makes them a great a great little train carrier. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I just I think that that probably plays into the just that the fact that there is an option, whether it's even whether it's more expensive or not, it does force the airlines to uh, behave and react. And you know, short haul routes. You know, at some point, there's a sort of capital cost per takeoff that you have to deal with to stay profitable separate from the fuel burn is, you know, and some of the maintenance, other maintenance things that happen longer term. I feel like there's sort of a minimum range you have to minimum amount of revenue you have to realize for any given flight and then additional revenue for each mile or 500 miles further that it goes, if that makes any sense. Um, I don't know. So that's a situation where I feel like the longer flights don't, you can't necessarily charge as much more to make up for the extra cost that they take to run, I guess, for uh, if you're looking at just strictly uh, price-induced leisure travel. Yeah, and I don't know what portion of that is leisure versus business on, on some of those routes. Yeah, well, let's assume that most of Ryanair and – I actually can't anymore. But I say most of Ryanair and EasyJet used to be leisure, but they've uh, even started taking in, digging into the business traveler world because they work. Yeah, I've only flown Ryanair a handful of times, three maybe, but they've all been for business trips, and they've all been significantly cheaper than any other alternative. And probably a nonstop where you otherwise would have had to take a connection and significantly faster. All those things. And so you paid extra $12 or euros or pounds for the exit row, and you stopped worrying. 
Yeah, but they didn't have the bolognese for me to try. I just figured, you know, if I'm going to fly Ryanair, I might as well try, you know, really bad prepared Italian food ahead of time. <laughs> My wow. grandmother just rolled over at her grave. I, I, I don't even know what just happened. Uh, <laughs> sure you do. You invited me on the show and then everything went off the rails eight seconds later. Awesome. Uh, on that note, I think we probably should end this disaster before it gets any worse. Um, Ed, thanks again for coming on. Um, thanks for the stories about Will. We will make sure to get the link to the charity in the show notes. On, and like uh, Ed said, folks, perhaps you can, since you can't go to Starbucks anyways, although I guess if you have a drive through one, you could. But consider uh, making that your donation. Um, obviously, as a show, we will be making a donation as well and super happy to support the efforts so that is happening we will make sure that the you have the link in the show notes um beyond that uh you can find us oh actually ed where can we find you yeah and i did leave out one other key detail which hopefully will help folks uh contribute um this is through National Science for Mental Illness, uh, National Alliance for Mental Illness's website. So uh, corporate matches are fully in play, and we have uh, right now fully five thousand dollars in matching dollars behind donations. So if you are donating five bucks for your local Starbucks, I'm going to match. Randy's going to match. Somebody's going to match that five bucks as well. So definitely helping us uh, ramp up the numbers. And if you're hunting for me online, it's uh, it's all at Pizza in Motion, um, which is also my blog when I actually have time after podcasting and coronavirus preparation awesome thanks ed uh you can find us on twitter at dots lines or more dots more lines.com uh leave us a comment uh tweet at us as you heard just now sometimes if you catch us the right moment it'll actually end up on the show as a topic for discussion um find us on patreon if you're interested and we will talk to you later have a great trip take care